You're listening to Getting Lit with Linda Mora, the podcast where we welcome you to get lit. Canadian lit, that is. Join Linda as she talks about authors in Canada and sometimes with them, using her expertise to shed some light on recent and not-so-recent writers. And now, get ready for Getting Lit with Linda. Hi, this is Linda Mora, the writer and host of Getting Lit with Linda. This is the second of a two-part episode related to Motive, the crime and mystery writing festival that's slated for June 3rd to June 5th at the Harbourfront Centre in Toronto, Canada. For this second part, I interview Marissa Stapley, the author of several books, including The Last Resort and Mating for Life, and of holiday rom-coms, including The Holiday Swap and All I Want for Christmas, the latter two being written under the pen name Maggie Knox. I first had occasion to hear Marissa Stapley on CBC Radio being interviewed by Sheila Rogers, during which time they spoke about Lucky, her novel which was picked up as the first Canadian book by the Reese Witherspoon Book Club in December of 2021. The first thing that really struck me about that interview is how Stapley was writing this novel as her mother was dying. As my listeners know, I too know what this experience is, having written a book called Moving Archives while I was losing my own mother to cancer. The second thing that struck me, though, is how Stapley characterized her mother as a woman of faith, who was taking her death with a kind of peace that really reminded me of my own mother. Oh, my mother fought hard. She wanted to live. But she also had a certain kind of faith that allowed her to see beyond this mortal coil. You can see why I suddenly became very curious about Stapley as both a writer and a human being. I bought Lucky. I read it. And I absolutely loved it. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did with Marissa Stapley. It really is a pleasure and an honor to have you on my podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I wanted to talk about Lucky and how Lucky might be seen to have changed your life. It's, it's enjoyed platinum sales in the New York Times. It's the first Canadian book to make it to Reese's, Reese's Book Club Picks. Did all of that change your life? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think about it a lot because, you know, as are any kind of artist, I have visual artist friends and poets and novelists, and you're always striving for a certain level of success. Um, and it can be so elusive, right? It's so, there are so many challenges. And I always talk about publishing as being a marathon, not a race. And you, you've got to be really determined. And, you know, that can often begin for people with writing their first novel and that novel doesn't see the light of day. And, you know, the trick is to, to keep going and keep trying. Um, but the interesting thing when you have something happen um, as what happened with Lucky and the Reese's Pick in New York Times and you hit those targets, you also realize that it changes your life in many ways, but in many ways it doesn't. And you've got to kind of stay, take a step back and go, okay, I'm still 
me, I'm still just this regular person and I haven't actually changed. And I, you know, actually I think I just watched Sean Mendez on the Juno say something like you are enough, even after you, like, regardless of whether you have success. And that really resonated with me because I thought you have to get to that place. Um, because otherwise you just become relentless in your pursuit of other goals and and you don't stop and enjoy the moment so I've been trying to focus on on that because certainly so much excitement has resulted from lucky so many wonderful things have happened in my publishing career because of that um I just signed another a deal with Simon and Schuster for the novel that I've wanted to write for years but wasn't sure I could do it or even if anyone would be interested um so yes, it has changed my life, but I've been reminding myself, you are still you, things that matter still matter. And ultimately, I can't be defined just by my art and my career. In terms of the plot of Lucky, the father-daughter relationship. Um, so on so, in some ways, I understood that relationship in that I had a very close relationship, actually, with my own father. Um, I appreciated his guidance and his support. He was someone who was very ethical. And But in this novel, the father is, on the one hand, a compelling figure, but he's also a very disturbing uh, figure. Mm-hmm. So there was a quotation that really struck me. So the first part of the question was, if you could comment on that relationship. The second one that really struck me was a quotation in which you say in the book, you, or the, rather the father is saying to Lucky, you are luckier than others, but you still have to hone that luck. I thought it's interesting that he's offering that kind of advice, which we also have to take with a grain of salt, given who he is. But in spite of who he's saying and how he behaves, I thought you might comment on whether or not you think that that's true. Right. So I have a really close relationship with my own father too. And I have a really wonderful stepfather. So I don't have, it's so it's my dad it's sort of laughs because in a few of my other novels, the dads aren't that great. <laughs> he's like, what are, you, what are you saying here? Um, but I think, you know, John and Lucky really do have a complicated relationship and he is so complicated because he, I mean, in my research about con artists and grifters, I ultimately found that the really successful ones are ultimately sociopaths. And so John, he didn't have the capability to feel the way anyone else would, or any, you know, non-sociopathic person would feel when performing the kinds of cons that he did, which made him good at it, right? He could just get up in the middle of the night and say, we're leaving. He couldn't feel anything for for Steph's mom because of this, this sort of divide between him and other people. And you're right that, you know, as much as it's a con artist caper of a novel, that there was a distressing element to that. And Lucky was really at the mercy of his whims from the moment that he picked her up from those church steps. But he does love her and he does in his way in his damaged harmful way love her and I'm sure there are people that would say gosh that is like that's a little triggered by that because people can harm you and still love you and then there comes a time when you realize you've got to set a proper boundary and um, you know I don't want to say too much about that with Lucky but 
you know, you're, you're right to kind of flag that as, as something to notice about the story. And that is a really complicated relationship that I gave, you know, just so much thought. And I would try to go back into John's backstory. And I do know quite a bit about him. Um, but ultimately, there's just a missing puzzle piece in him, right? He doesn't have empathy, he doesn't feel and he tries. So to answer the second part of your your question, when he says things like that to Lucky, um, the pieces of advice he gives her, particularly when it comes to being a carn artist, that's his love language, right? It doesn't make sense to other people, but that's to him. He's he's giving her love by giving her, you know, instructions and tidbits and how to be better at this crime that they this criminal life. So and then when he says, you know, you're luckier than most, but you have to hone it because really does luck really exist I don't I I don't really know I know that there are some people who are lucky luckier than others um and some people who see themselves as unlucky so is there you know something we can't control in this chaos of life that we just have this you know what it, it could be anything it could be like some kind of ancestral thing where we just come from an unlucky line of people I don't know but I have thought about it um but I really think what John was saying to her was ultimately you you luck is almost this skill that she has this commodity in, in order to hone it it becomes something other than luck because you can't control luck but he's saying if you can you can hone it and control it you can turn it into something that you have mastery over which is the whole you know one of the things con artists really really work towards and, and they have to have mastery over their their marks you referenced the research that you had to do in order to write this novel in relation to con artists could you comment on the kind of research you were doing well i always start with a trip to the library or I I love the online holds option. So I'll go online and I'll put a bunch of books on hold and um, come home with a stack of, of books. So I didn't, this was certainly um, no different. So I came home with, you know, catch me if you can and a bunch of Bernie Madoff books because I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around Ponzi schemes. And I, I'm not, I mean, I'm an author. I have a journalism degree. I, I think I stopped doing math in high school in grade 10. <laughs> so so I was like okay um how do I you know how would you do this and I felt it took me a while to really grasp it and the short changing and ca- card counting all of that um I had I found some books and then watched YouTube videos you know you can it's you can find anything on the internet so I found some very interesting sites where you know, you could learn how to do these things. And then I watched, rewatched any con artist movie that I had loved because I really enjoy capers with um, con artists in them. Um, Really enjoyed watching Lupin, the show uh, on Netflix. And although I think that that may have come out after, um, I was watching a British show called Hustle, which has seven or eight seasons. And it's about a, a kind of merry band of, Robin Hood-esque rifters, they're a chosen family. Uh, There's a different con in every episode and it's always, their mark is always someone they feel deserves it, which I thought was fun. And I really enjoyed watching those. And honestly, every episode begins with a different con and... I just learned so many different cons from that show and it was, it was fun. (laughs) Um, Like one of them had the trick knee and jumped in front of a moving car and then went to the hospital and the x-ray showed an injury. And I looked that up on it and apparently that's, that's a common grift. And there seems to be a kind of element of 
Robin Hood, which is also referenced in Lucky, right? The mm -hmm. idea of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. There's a kind of morality that's broached in, in not only the novel, but in, in the genre as a whole. What do you think of that kind of morality that's apparently being advanced? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I was very purposeful in making Lucky have that Robin Hood element because I really wanted the reader to root for her to win hundreds of millions of dollars in the lottery. And, <laughs> and I felt I didn't want it to be, I didn't want there to be a moral gray area. I understand that authors play with that a lot or filmmakers or um, TV show screenwriters. Um, but that's not what I wanted for this book. I didn't want anyone to walk away going, Oh, I was really pushed to my limits. And I was in a moral gray area, it, even though I think I maybe conned people into thinking they were not in a moral gray area, because she is <laughs> and you're still rooting for her but I just wanted it to feel good I wanted to feel good at the time and so that's that's why I introduced that element uh, to it but I did find in my research and I read um, after Lucky came out actually a really really cool uh, work of nonfiction called Confident Women by an author named Tori Telfer about con women through the ages who have not there's we hear about con men and there's so many famous male con artists but but this was chronicling many female con artists. And one of the things she said in her intro was, we have uh, this pact of trust between humans. We exist and that's in, in this place where we trust each other. And, and we're quite trusting actually. And because of this, con artists can exist. So the, the existence of con artists reveals something beautiful about society. If con artists couldn't operate, that would mean that we'd lost our trust in each other and our faith in each other. Yeah, so it is really interesting. And honestly, it's surprising and quite sad to see, even though you'll laugh, like I read an article about a woman who believed that the guy she'd met online was Bruno Mars and he needed $100,000. She believed him. She gave him $100,000 because he said he needed it for his tour. And I mean, you you want to laugh and say, how, how could you be so foolish to believe something like that? But it also is so true what John says to Lucky that if you find a person's vulnerability and what they want the most, then you, you will own them basically. And it's, it's very true, right? You can, we all think that we are impervious. I believe that I am. And yet I'm so trusting. And I tell people new friends, like that's my weakness. I meet a new friend. I'm like, Oh, I love this person. But I actually met a new friend after I, I wrote lucky. And, and then she and her husband spent time with my husband and I, and, and they were so nice and they were not con artists, but I had this brief, like couple of weeks where I was like, but what if like, I just, these are, they're exactly what I need. Like, they just burst into our lives. Um, so it's possible, right? Friendship, love, um, greed certainly is, that's the one that's fun for TV shows like Hustle. So capitalizing on that. The second part is, in fact, the filmic aspect of Lucky. So I know it's being optioned um, for, for a film. And so I thought when the novel comes off the page and it lands on the screen, what aspect of the novel do you most look forward to seeing 10 feet tall on that screen? I really want to just see Lucky. I mean, I feel 
that I know her so well. And she became such an important part of my life and, and was there for me when I really needed her. And then this incredible thing happened because of her. And I can remember the moment she kind of came to me and was like, here I am. This is, this is you. I'm going to, I'm going to be your, your criminal. Cause I needed a criminal um, and people are going to love me. <laughs> so I just want to see her and see that screen on screen interpretation of her and, and all of those nuances of her character, the fact that she's a criminal but she's she went through life like a tumbleweed it wasn't necessarily her choice um so all of those things I I just want to see how that is portrayed I was going to ask you what compels you to write not just a novel but this type of novel yeah I mean what what this I don't I mean you may have seen my mom wasn't well when I was writing Lucky and I had been working on a different novel at the time and the novel that I that I will now have coming out next but it was just too complex and it was too dark and I wanted to write it so badly but I couldn't I couldn't grasp it it just was getting away from me and I didn't have the emotional bandwidth so Lucky uh kind of, I I heard a radio report about a lottery ticket that had gone unclaimed, a really big payout. We were in the U.S. skiing at the time. And I actually, what compelled me to grasp onto that, because I think authors and writers are sort of trolling through life, looking for those ideas, right? We're always, we've got one year open, either conversations in cafes or radio or TV or articles or books. But I want, I actually really wanted to write a TV pilot. I really always envisioned Lucky as a TV show. So I think that I just, what I wanted was something that was a simple concept that had something that would really draw people in and they'd know immediately that they wanted to watch or they wanted to read and they they were compelled. So I think that was the initial hook for Lucky was just, I can't write something dark and emotionally complex. I This seems simple. So I'm grabbing this shiny lottery ticket of an idea. But of course, no idea and no book is ever simple. So although it, of all the books I've written, it flowed the best and didn't give me, she didn't give me too much trouble. I, I never, I, I don't think so anyway. The year that I was um, really concentrated on, on writing Lucky was a bit of a blur for me, but um. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways she just, she was so straightforward as a character. She, and she had a goal and, you know, it was a journey. Like it was that for me in that moment was what I really needed. Um, But I almost never do that. My next book, you know, I can describe Lucky in one sentence and say, you know, con artist with a heart of gold finds out she's won the lottery and the same day she finds out the FBI is on her tail. And you know what the book is about. And my next novel, somebody asked me on another podcast and, you know, 10 minutes later, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I can't, what is happening? Like, I can't, I can't explain this in, there's no elevator pitch. So maybe for once, I just wanted that that elevator pitch novel and and it was a lot of fun and I don't think that it'll it'll ever happen to me again so I enjoyed it and I'm enjoying the the result which is how well Lucky has done it may happen again yet (laughs) we'll see Do you want to talk about the other, your other novel, the one that you're working on now? I'm, I'm really excited about it. It was just announced. It's um, coming out with Simon and Schuster in 2024. So I have a good long time to, to write it and do everything else um, that I'm working on. So it's called The Lightning Bottles. Um, it doesn't actually have 
a criminal element, um, but there is a mysterious element. It's about a, a rock star, 90s grunge rock star couple, kind of like the White Stripes. They are they're, they perform together and, and reach huge stardom together. And the male, Elijah, um, goes missing. And Jane Pyre, his partner and bandmate and love of his life and wife is blamed. Um, and so we're five years on and she's been blamed and vilified. And everyone has said, you know, she's like Yoko Ono or she's like Courtney Love and she's being treated horribly. And and her her incredible musical talent and songwriting talent is completely ignored. So she's taken off, decided to move to the middle of nowhere in this little tiny German hamlet where she's determined everyone is 65 plus nobody will know who she is but her neighbor her next door neighbor happens to be a 17 year old super fan of the band which is that there's there's the little lottery ticket there and um she happens to have found some evidence that elijah is alive and well and making banksy-esque street art through the west eastern european cities where they toured um together and he's leaving messages for jane so they go on a road trip looking for these clues in the past timeline we see their rise to fame what happened uh what happened the night he disappeared what the secrets jane is holding back are and then in the present we figure out you know is he still alive if he is can she forgive him and then for ten the the fan you know is it true what they say should you should you meet your heroes and like is there a place for her in in their life so so it's it's complex and I'm I love it I was you know I was a grunge kid in the 90s and loved that music and love that I'm getting to go back there again and look through my old journals and figure out who I was to write this teenager it's it's amazing you seem to like complex female protagonists Mm -hmm. do you think you'll diverge from that or is there a particular reason why you gravitate toward that kind of character I mean, I don't know. I, I am a strong female character, I guess, myself. I don't. <laughs> and I was yeah, raised by strong female characters. And I can't imagine ever diverging from that. And, um, you know, and what a gift to, to have Reese Witherspoon Pickett, particularly someone on the hunt for these strong female characters to lift these stories up. And I never even thought about it. I never even imagined that that could happen to me. And then when I looked at her mandate after, I was like, oh, you know, yeah, like this is the kind of thing that, that she definitely likes to lift up. Um, but I don't, I don't imagine that I would ever diverge from that. Um, I don't give Elijah a point of view in the lightning bottles, but I know him and actually on the weekend when the Florence and the Machine album came out, I don't know if you're a fan, but the song morning Elvis, oh my gosh, that it just, I was almost in tears. I was like, oh, this is him. Like he's here now. I understand him and you need to, to really understand him. So I don't, I, I don't have a problem writing male characters or trying to get inside male heads but right now I think they're just these stories are the ones that are that are being delivered to me they're the ones that that are seemingly most pressing and I I think you have a ready audience Mm -hmm. such a lack of of strong female heroines for so long that it really is a pleasure to get this kind of book um very briefly I we should tell my listeners that you are appearing at Motive in Toronto you're giving a workshop on June 3rd Yes. So doing a workshop the evening of June 3rd about uh, writing thrillers or any novel really with characters who have true heart, who, who are, you know, real 
compelling, multidimensional, um, who feel like real people, not because you face them on real people, but because you've created truly believable, compelling characters that you can carry with you through your extremely compelling thriller novel or any kind of novel. I mean, it's a thriller and mystery festival, so I can focus on that for sure. But I think it'll be useful for all aspiring writers. And then an interview with um, Hannah Mary McKinnon on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So they'll have, so listeners will have two opportunities to hear you live and in person. And this is taking place in Toronto. So one last question, I guess, is what does it mean to you to participate in a festival like that? It's such a pleasure and an honor because it's just such a wonderful organization and so respected. So there's that, but I think this is particularly special because we've been apart for so long and this is my first live event and I'm excited and I'm ready. And I, I just, I miss the energy exchange of live events and I find online events are completely worthwhile. I love that people can be, they are more accessible and, and people can come from all over, but I find them um, a little bit draining because you don't get that high of, of, of meeting in person and, and exchanging energy with people. So I can't wait. Again, that was my interview with Marissa Stapley. If you haven't read her book, Lucky, you can get it from Simon & Schuster or through Audible. Don't forget to follow Reese's Book Club on which Stapley's book was featured in December of 2021. I'd like to thank her, Roland Gulliver, and all those who've been working pretty hard to put on a phenomenal schedule of events at Motive, slated to take place between June 3rd and June 5th at the Harbourfront Centre in Toronto. As always, thanks for listening, my dear listeners. That was Getting Lit with Linda, hosted by Linda Mora. If you have a topic you would like to hear covered, write to us at gettinglitwithlinda at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you continue to get lit.